When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, and welcome to the American Patchwork and Quilting Podcast. I'm Lindsay Mayland, and I'm so excited to be here with you. On today's show, we're sharing tips for strip piecing and binding. We're sharing a touching story of how a sewer helped her community. And we give the history of potholder quilts. They're not what you think they are. But to start the show, we want to talk about spring cleaning. We know, we know, it's freezing outside and spring is just a month away. And wasn't it just last month that we were talking about organizing and decluttering? But we wanted to do a fun spring cleaning episode early because, drumroll please, our 31 Days to an Organized Sewing Space Challenge begins March 1st. And we wanted all of our podcast listeners to be prepared and have the heads up on this fun challenge. So this challenge runs the entire month of March, and each day during the month, there's a daily challenge. It's just one small task a day that you can accomplish in your sewing space to help make it more organized and more usable. So if you're a subscriber to American Patchwork and Quilting or you've picked up our April 2021 issue on newsstands, you'll see that we have an entire article to go along with this challenge that offers more in-depth tips and photos. But if you don't have the issue, you can still participate. So we'll be posting the daily challenge on our website and social media each day. And then you can post your progress by sharing photos with us. So it's going to be just so inspiring. I can't wait to see everyone's spring cleaning challenges and their spaces. It's going to be so fun. So the challenges are really achievable. So some are small things like change your sewing machine needle or clean your cutting mat, and others are larger, like organize your drawers or get your patterns and books sorted. But it's just going to be fun, and I personally can't wait to play along. So we'll post a link to the details in the show notes if you're interested. Now let's join with Elizabeth, the art director of American Patchwork and Quilting, to talk more concrete tips for your spring cleaning. Hi, everyone. I am just so happy to be talking about spring cleaning today. It's felt like an especially long winter here in the Midwest, so I'm ready to roll up my sleeves and get to work. So let's start off with talking about how spring cleaning is different than the organizing that sometimes happens in January and why spring cleaning may feel more achievable for some of us. A lot of times in January, there's such an emphasis placed on these big storage and decluttering processes. And it may feel intimidating for quilters because it involves making decisions about what to keep and what to get rid of, or buying products that change the way we sort and store our supplies. And in most cases, the, these big processes can cause us to put our sewing on hold until we can get our rooms put back together again. So true. And while it's great to take the time to think about our spaces and what we own on a larger scale, 
sometimes we just need to get, you know, down and dirty with some of these small tasks so we can keep our sewing space usable. Um, and you all know me each year I do my big declutter of my sewing space, which I love doing. Um, but during that time, I'm rarely paying attention to things like how dirty my sewing machine is or my ironing board or, you know, how, how to sort my batting scraps. So the spring cleaning time is a great time to do some of these smaller tasks because they're, they're quick, they're easy, and they keep your sewing space intact so you can keep working on all your projects. That's exactly right. Spring cleaning is more about a general refresh of your space than about making difficult decisions. So let's start off with a few classic spring cleaning tips that you may have already used in other rooms of your house over the years, but these tips also work well in your sewing space. Now you may have heard this tip before regarding clothing declutters. You start by hanging your clothes with the hangers facing backwards. Then when you wear the clothing item, you simply flip the hanger to the right side to help indicate that it's something you've worn and want to keep. You can take this same idea and apply it to your sewing room and your notions. We suggest collecting all the notions you're not sure about keeping in one box for a set period of time. Let's say three to six months, depending on how frequently you quilt. You can then pull items from the box when you use them and then find a permanent storage spot for them after they're used. After your set period of time, you can then confidently donate or purge anything left in the box. Yeah, that's a great idea. I know we've done this in our own office with rulers and templates because we had just had collected like hundreds over the years. So we put a small piece of washi tape on every single ruler and template we owned. And if someone in the office used it, we just removed the tape. And after a few years, we donated all of the rulers that still had the tape pieces on them because we knew we weren't using them. <laughs> that was such a good decluttering process that worked well for us. <laughs> too, too many rulers. <laughs> yes, it's always a problem. <laughs> So sometimes approaching your space this way feels easier because you're not making those big decisions right away or spending a lot of time organizing things all at once. You're allowing yourself the time and space to use things and then see if you're comfortable living without them. You may find that you tend to only use your favorite tools and really don't need a lot of options or backups. Or you may discover that you love switching things up and experimenting with a variety of notions. It really just depends on your personal preferences and this tip will help you discover your favorites. So another simple way to ensure your space is cleaner is by setting up some catch-all areas. So I have one in my sewing room, but um, I have more around the house and it just helps eliminate some of the chaos and clutter. So basically you designate a small area, it could be a basket or a tray, that temporarily stashes all those things that you're not ready to deal with yet. So it could be paperwork or patterns to sort, scraps you need to cut, or even tools that need to be put away. And then, you know, once a week, maybe go through your catch-all and just deal with all the items. And that way, you can just throw the mess in its designated spot and it doesn't take over your room. And then you can just deal with things all at once. That is such a great tip. It's simple yet so effective. I know I do something similar with my mail. I tend to just store all in one spot and then sort it 
all at the end of the week when <laughs> I decide to finally open them all. Me too. <laughs> so um, during spring cleaning, it's also important to show your supplies some love. It's a great time to clean your cutting mat, your sewing machine, your iron, and your ironing board cover. You can also change out your needles and rotary cutter blades if you haven't done this in a while. I know I'm guilty of that a lot. And you can also wind some extra bobbins or sharpen your scissors. Of course, you should be doing these things much more often than just during spring cleaning, but there's really nothing better than giving some TLC to your most used supplies. It's such a great feeling to start a project when all of your tools are sharp, clean, and working in tip-top shape. Yeah, I'm, I'm not going to lie. I need this reminder to especially change my needle and my rotary cutting blades and clean my machine. For some reason, for me, those tasks always seem so tedious, and I just put them off and put them off, and then all of a sudden, months have flown by, and I'm still using that same dull needle. So I, I'm looking forward to the <laughs> doing that. <laughs> yeah, I can totally relate to that. And I think a lot of quilters can. <laughs> and it just takes like minutes. It's not a big deal. <laughs> yes, I agree. So another easy thing you can do to set yourself up for future success is by taking inventory of your favorite items and restocking what's needed. If you have a favorite neutral thread color, favorite rotary cutter blades, needles, or even larger items like fusibles and batting, make a supply run to your local quilt shop and purchase backups. Or you can wait until your favorite online store has a coupon or sale and then stock up. There is nothing more frustrating than being ready to finish a project and then realizing you've run out of the supplies you need to complete it. I know that I do this with my favorite neutral thread color whenever I see it's on sale. And this actually came in super handy earlier this year when my mom was right in the middle of finishing a couple of quilt tops, and then she had a hard time finding her favorite thread in stores. I had a couple backups, so I was able to give her an extra spool um, so she could finish things up. And yes, before you ask, my mom and I do share the favorite, same favorite thread color. Um, she totally introduced me to it. <laughs> like mother, like daughter. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, the same thing happens to me with batting. I never stock up on batting. And then I always have to wait to finish a quilt until I order more. So next time there's a sale, I'm just going to order a few extra packages. On a similar note... You can also take inventory of your specialty or more expensive items. So you can write down your list of, say, your specialty rulers, your die cuts, your sewing machine accessories, books, or any other items you may not use often, so they may not be top of mind for you. That way, when you're out shopping, you don't accidentally buy something you already own or even a tool similar to one you own that does like the same type of technique. Right. There's nothing worse than noticing you own two of something when you don't need more than one of. Um, for a small example of this, I know I've done this before with Baldoni threads and pearl cottons. I will be in a store and I'll be particularly drawn to a beautiful color and then realize when I get home, I already own like two of them. It's, <laughs> it's happened to me numerous times. And it's just really hard sometimes to keep track of all your rulers and your notions especially when you are caught up in a sale while shopping. So if you have a list saved in an email or on an app on your phone, you can quickly reference that list anywhere and anytime you need it. Yeah, great idea. 
The last thing we wanted to talk about was freshening your space with your decor choices. So spring is just a great time to swap out any of, you know, the winter or Christmas quilts that you still may have on display and or maybe even trade in those heavy throws for lighter ones. I love this time of year because even though it's still pretty cold out, just swapping my my cool color quilts for my bright spring ones just makes my space feel more energized and adds that needed burst of color after this long winter. Oh, I totally agree. I do something really similar. Um, I, in the winter times, often use a really heavy t-shirt quilt as a throw on my couch. And so when spring arrives, I like to switch that out to a lighter throw. And I also do this with my bedding. In the winter, I'll use a warm and fluffy purchased duvet. But um, in the spring, I like to switch it out to just a bed quilt with the bright pops of color. Love it. Thank you so much, Elizabeth. And remember to visit our show notes for the link to our spring cleaning challenge that starts March 1st. It's going to be so fun. So we're going to take a quick ad break, but when we come back, we're sharing tips for strip piecing and hear a quilter story about making a difference in their community. Welcome back. I'm now here with Joanna, the editor of Quilts and More magazine for Back to Basics. What are we learning today, Joanna? Today we're going to be taking a look at a favorite technique for saving time as you quilt, strip piecing. As I'm sure most of you know, strip piecing involves sewing long strips together and then subcutting the piece strip into smaller units. Piecing this way, rather than separately cutting smaller pieces and sewing them together, saves time by minimizing how many seams you have to sew, one longer one versus several smaller ones. It can also save you thread, which is you know, helpful for the budget. Yeah, I'm so glad we're talking about this today, Joanna. I have made so many quilts that call for strip piecing, and I personally struggle with wonkiness in my strips, so I'm looking forward to your tips. And I'm actually making a quilt right now that uses strip piecing, so I'm going to take my learnings right to my sewing room when we're done chatting. (laughs) I hope the tips rise to the occasion. Uh, so I'm always excited when I see a project that has strip piecing because it's some, there's something really satisfying about it. I always feel so efficient. Uh, plus, it's often more accurate since you can cut the pieces to the exact size without worrying about any individual seams being off. The process is really simple, but there are ways to make it go just a little smoother and get super accurate pieces. So here are a couple of my favorite tips for successful strip piecing. First, this is a bit of a matter of preference, but I actually like to use smaller strips for strip piecing. Often patterns will call for width of fabric strips, but I find when I try to to sew a full 42 inch long strip, it's really easy for my strip to wobble or my seam to get off a little bit, and then I end up with some pieces that are just not that accurate. So what I like to do is use two smaller strips, like two 21-inch strips in the example above. I actually first learned this tip from one of the Quilts and More designers, and when I was reading her instructions and I saw that she called for smaller strips, I thought, why didn't I think of that? Because um, I just know that I struggle to maintain an accurate seam allowance for that long of a stretch. Plus, then your strip sets fit on your cutting mat. Otherwise, I mean, it's too long and then you have to reposition and move things. So it's just easier to have them smaller. Right, exactly. So um, 
yeah, I just tend to be a lot happier with the results when I just alter the pattern a little bit to make them shorter strips. Second, trim one end of your strip set so that it's a perfect 90 degree angle with the edges of the strips and the seam in the middle. So at the beginning, if the beginning of your seam was a little off, this will fix that to give you a good, clean, accurate starting edge for when you start subcutting the units. After all, you don't want your units to be at an angle as you go. I like to use strips that are an inch or so longer than called for in the pattern so that I have plenty of room to trim and get that 90 degree angle just right without worrying that I've cut off too much fabric and now I won't have enough left in the strip set to get all of the units that I need. Third, alternate which edge you start sewing on between rows. This helps keep the rows straight without any bowing or warping. Try marking your starting edge, left or right, with a pin so you remember which side is which and remember to stitch. Just be careful that you don't accidentally sew over that pin because you don't want to break your needle. Safety first. Finally, and this one might be a little obvious, but check your quarter inch seam allowance before you start sewing all of your strip sets. This is especially important in strip sets of three or more strips. If you find that your quarter inch seam allowance is off, it's really going to add up and then you're going to have lots of units that are the wrong size. Sew a small test set of three strips before you start making those strip sets. I like to use three um, short strips that are two and a half inches wide. After sewing and pressing all three, measure the finished size of the middle strip. Is it two inches exactly? Then it's perfect. If it's wider than two inches, your seam allowance is smaller than a quarter inch. If it's narrower, your seam allowance is bigger than a quarter inch. I know for me, I need to use a scant quarter inch seam because otherwise after pressing, my piece ends up just a little too narrow, which means that what I think is a quarter inch isn't actually a quarter inch, it's a little too wide. And then I always suggest too that even if you think you know what your perfect quarter inch seam is for your machine, it never hurts to test it once in a while, maybe like, you know, once a month or so, just because sometimes, you know, you get into some habits and you're not sewing exactly the same way. So um, I have a washi tape on my machine so I know where my quarter inch is. And every so often I do have to take it off and adjust to make sure that it actually still is accurate. Well, great tips, Joanna. I uh, Looks like I have some great learnings for the quilts I'm working on now, so hopefully I can use some of these to nix my wonky strips. Thank you. Good luck. Now I'm handing it over to Allison, the designer of Quilts and More magazine, for Quilting Changes Everything, a segment where we share stories of quilters making a difference in their communities. Take it away, Allison. Catherine Gamble, a woman from San Antonio, has been sewing and donating outfits for toddlers since 2016. Though she hasn't been sewing her whole life, it was her grandfather who encouraged her to take up sewing. Growing up, she was diagnosed as being borderline developmentally challenged and very dyslexic. Catherine's speech pathologist told her parents that this condition was the worst thing she'd ever seen. This didn't sit well with Catherine or her parents. People treated her differently because of this diagnosis, and she began to think, maybe I am stupid, so why try? She endured a lot of bullying in school, and it was her grandfather who made her feel that she was just as normal as everyone else. 
when I was going through that, I don't know if I'm smart, so I'm just going to assume something's wrong with me. He looked past that. He didn't treat me like I was weird. He was a very warm person. Unfortunately, her grandfather passed away when she was only 13, but his kindness is what helps motivate Catherine to generously give her time and handmade clothing to others. Many years later, Catherine's husband encouraged her to start sewing, something she'd always been interested in. He suggested that she sign up for sewing lessons. Being apprehensive, thinking she had a learning disability, Catherine said she was afraid to be the moron in the class. Her husband told her to just go for it. Reflecting on the class, she said, it was one-on-one -on -one and I would just sit there and wait for my turn and watch everybody sew. And I would just think, this is great. I have never felt so good in my life. After she got comfortable with the sewing machine and her skills improved, her dad, a chaplain at a hospital, called her up and said, get out your sewing machine. The hospital needs some outfits. As she began thinking about the kids in need, she put aside her own insecurities to focus on giving to those who are dealing with far worse circumstances. She said, thinking about children in foster care or families who don't have any clothes, I just said, enough crying about my own problems. Catherine made over 80 outfits in 2020 that she donated to charity under her own nonprofit company called Too Cute to Sleep In. She focuses on girls' clothing for toddlers who are 18 months old. It takes her just one day to complete an outfit. She focuses on sewing patterns that she likes and says once she gets going, she just can't stop. Not only does she sew to help kids in need, but she also sews to, to honor the memory of her best friend who passed away in 2019. Julia was my best friend. She was the strongest person I knew. She was blind, and I think that blindness was a blessing for me because she was the most non-judgmental person. She was so independent and was taught to be fearless. This loss, including the loss of her grandfather, has motivated her to keep sewing in order to serve those in need. Thanks so much, Allison. These stories always touch my heart so much. Uh, people are just so giving, and I love highlighting them on the show so that we can all be inspired. We're going to take a quick ad break, but when we come back, we're learning about potholder quilts and get tips for binding. Welcome back. Now handing it over to Jody, the editor of American Patchwork and Quilting, for Collector's Corner, a segment where we discuss antique quilts and notions. Take it away, Jody. Thanks, Lindsay. Have you heard of the term potholder quilt? Well, it's not a quilt that's made of potholders. You might be more familiar with the term quilt as you go, and that's where blocks are made and then batting and backing are added, and it's all quilted together. The block um, is then joined, and that makes a quilt. But what distinguishes a potholder quilt that's a little bit different from the quilt-as-you-go method is that the binding is also added to each individual quilted block before the blocks are joined together. Then the blocks are turned over and whip-stitched together along those bound pieces. Now, in her research of potholder quilts, author Pamela Weeks found examples that date back to before the Civil War. And most, um, almost three quarters of those quilts that were being traced went back to quilters from New England. 
So there is some historical evidence for this being a regional trend among makers. Many potholder quilts were group quilts that then were donated either to an individual or to raise funds for a specific cause. By specifying a size and a design, let's say, for example, a 9-inch square 9-patch block, individual makers would make a completed block and then turn it in, and all the organizer then had to do was to whip-stitch the completed blocks together. Normally what would happen is you'd get the blocks, and then you'd have to put the quilt top together, and then you'd have to get it quilted and bound. So this way of doing quilts was a much faster way to get a quilt completed. Sometimes organizers would provide the fabric for the binding to each maker. This helped tie the quilt together even if the fabrics and the block designs were an eclectic mix. Even today, a pothole style, potholder style quilt is a great option as a guild charity project. Each member can make a block and even try a new technique on a small scale. Use it as an opportunity to reach out to others and to show them the steps of the quilting process from start to finish. Then you can combine those bound little pieces for a completed quilt that then you can donate to your local charity of choice. To view antique and modern examples of potholder quilts, go to quiltindex.org and search potholder quilt. Thanks so much, Jody. I never would have guessed what a potholder quilt, quilt meant just by the name. So we'll link to pictures of potholder quilts in our show notes so that you can see more. Now we're moving on to UFO Challenge, a segment where we address common finishing problems so you can complete your quilts. And this week, I want to talk about binding. To me, it seems like binding is either one of those techniques where you you have your favorite way to do it and you don't mind the process, or you're still looking for a good way to do it so that you don't hate the process so much. Binding is one of my favorite parts of the quilting process. I, I find it really relaxing. Uh, so I wanted to just share a few binding tips that may be useful to all those people who just have quilts sitting, waiting, ready for the binding. First, if you hate binding and don't think you'll like it, no matter what tips people can give you, there's a really easy solution, and that is to just hire someone to do it for you. So many long-arm quilters uh, offer a binding service, and some quilt shops do too, so check those out. Or maybe trade services with a friend who actually likes binding. So maybe they can bind your quilt while you do part of the process they don't like, such as you know, pressing units or ripping papers from a foundation piece quilt. So maybe you'll have that perfect fit of a friend who you can trade something with and, and then you don't have to worry about binding at all. Okay, so if you struggle with binding because you think it takes too long or even if it hurts your hands or wrists, which hand sewing binding down is very physical and I also suffer from wrist pain when I do it uh, sometimes, so uh, that's totally common. You could try binding completely by machine. Now, many of us weren't taught that way and some people think it's cheating to finish your quilts that way, um, but give it a try and see how it feels. Binding by machine is 
much quicker and it's much more gentle on your arms. And as a bonus, it can actually be a really sturdy way to finish a quilt that's going to get a lot of love and trips to the washing machine, such as baby or kids quilts or even a bed quilt. Um, we have a video uh, to show you how to add binding all by machine on our website. So we'll link to it in the show notes if you're interested. Maybe just try it on a smaller quilt and you might really like it. It's I've tried it once. I'm, I'm a hand binding person, but I've tried sewing by machine once and it was actually easier than I thought. So might be something to check out. And lastly, if you are a diehard binder by hand like I am, I have a tip to share. This is my favorite, favorite tip to share with people, and it, it completely changed my quilting life once I discovered it. I use hand quilting thread for my binding. I first tried this because a friend gave me a big bag of hand quilting thread, and I had no idea what to do with it, so I just decided to try it on binding one night, and it was so much easier than using a piecing thread. And here's why. Hand quilting thread has a coating on it. Uh, and because it has this coating, it does not tangle. So you can cut a length of hand quilting thread. I've done up to three feet to use for binding and it doesn't tangle. So you're spending less time, you know, tying knots, bearing threads, untangling threads. It's, it's a huge time saver that you can use those larger lengths of thread. The coated hand quilting thread also, it's meant to glide through fabric easily. That's the point. So because of the smooth process, it just makes the binding easier and you may not have to like hold your binding in place so tightly or like clench your, you know, arms or hands to hold things in place and push things through the quilt. Um, I've even done binding. I, I rarely use wonder clips. I just kind of hold it with my fingers because things go so smoothly, but it just glides through the fabric like a dream. And the last, last reason I love using hand quilting thread is it's slightly thicker than your piecing thread. And so you can tug it and pull it without breaking. So I, I never worry about pulling too hard when I'm binding or being a little rough with it when I'm maneuvering the thread through the quilt because it is strong. And that also means it will hold your binding tightly in place through all of the washes, all of the wear. Um, I do have to point out though, because the thread is thicker, it does not sink into the fabric uh, to hide your stitches as much as the piecing thread does. It does not personally bother me that I can see a little of the stitches on the back side, um, but that's just something to keep in mind if that really bothers you. You definitely want to choose a thread that matches the fabrics pretty closely. So I hope one of these tips helps you on your binding journey. I know binding isn't the most fun part of the quilting process for most people, but it can at least be tolerable enough for you to get some of your quilts finished. So that's all we have for you today. Everyone have a great week and please stay warm and safe. And we'll, we'll talk to you all next week.